Okay, listeners, you know what time it is. It's time to elevate your full-body grooming game with precision-engineered tools from Manscaped. Their premium lawnmower 3.0 is not only waterproof, but it includes an LED light and is made with advanced skin-safe technology, which is trademarked, which reduces nicks and cuts on your delicates. You get this trimmer inside the Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver, an undercarriage deodorant, and the Crop Reviver, a family jewel toning spray. Both super practical, and guess what? They smell good, too. Plus, for a limited time, when you order the Perfect Package Kit, you get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs, because who doesn't like a soft pouch for their marbles? The Manscaped Boxer Briefs have optimal temperature control with their crop cooling technology, while keeping your pride and joy supported. You need to try this out for yourself, business. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. Again, 20% off plus free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. Com, the Athletic 20, all one word with a two and a zero. Always use the right tools for the job. Get Manscaped. Perform on the field, people will come. And it doesn't happen. You have to look at how you're doing business. Welcome to White Sox Business, a podcast about Chicago's Southside baseball team, hosted by me, John Greenberg, and more importantly, our cleanup hitter, James Fegan. Subscribe to White Sox Business on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, check out James's and my work on The Athletic as well. James, what's going on? Oh, uh, you know, just um, cross-referencing like three different stat columns of catcher interference to make a short-form post about it. Oh, that's good. It's good use of time. <laughs> Are you gonna you gonna do a video too, like Lawrence Holmes? Uh, no, that looked too painful. So, uh, no, no squatting <laughs> in my future. I like how you called him out on Twitter for uh, for grunting <laughs> as he got out of his his crouch. It was just a very interesting editorial choice to keep it in. <laughs> do you think he even noticed? Maybe he just kind of posted it. Probably, yeah, probably. But it's just it's the last sound you hear before it ends. It's just him going ah. <laughs> just letting everyone know that it's not easy to be a catcher all right really james sucks. you're covering james you're covering a playoff team you're kind of doing it from afar even when you're there it's afar because you're not allowed uh within any distance of actual players which is it's weird it do you feel disconnected from covering this team even though you know it's like the most exciting white Sox season you know, I would argue it's more exciting than than 2008. So, which, you know, for a lot of that season was actually kind of frustrating. So for 15, it's the most exciting season really in 15 years when they won the World Series. But how does it feel to cover it? Uh, yeah, extremely disconnected. Uh, there's there's a ton of stuff that I'd be trying to explore um, right now. There is a ton of, just in terms of like, I mean, there's features I would have knocked out <laughs> months ago. Um, if I wasn't trying to like arrange, you know, every, every, um, you know, one-on-one conversation being like taking planning because of, you know, the obvious logistics at work, um, all, all sorts of like questions people have about like, how is the, the playing time split between Grandal and McCann going, um, it is very hard to handle outside of just, um, public statements, every, every kind of clarification on, 
availability of relievers and the workloads and everything that I think Renneria gets kind of dinged on um, all all the time. It's just so much harder to get clarification on. Um, I, I feel like... If, if we are traveling on the road, a lot of times on the road when you're just like four reporters or who's, who are on the beat, a lot of those pregame sessions, you're kind of just finding stuff to talk about. Um, you, you kind of just get, um, you know, if, if you were just checking in on the, you know, the standard injuries and what the rotation looks like, it's just a lot of times middle of season, that, that would just be a minute and a half conversation. So you wind up like exploring their philosophies and you know what Ricky's approach is to, uh, a lot of things um, just because you're kind of making conversation on the record a lot um, during that or, and off the record too which is you know you really don't have the option of kind of continuing to stay in chat and talk things over and explain why certain things sound a certain way over zoom calls so there, there's a lot of like little little uh, nuances to his movements that we probably would have gotten clarification or explanation on by now that really just kind of leave unanswered. And I'm not going to like, I'm not going to waste time during, or one of my one or two opportunities to ask a question post game to ask him like, why wasn't the defensive substitute? Why aren't you like playing Jared Dyson over Nomar Mazar? He would have gotten to that double quicker uh, type of stuff that like fans yell at me about on Twitter that, I probably would have like gotten into some explanation of his substitution patterns and people wouldn't have to yell at me post game about them all the time at this point, because I would have an explanation as opposed to like, I'm not, you really have to focus on what you can get quote wise to write your story because it's really hard enough to put that together. So you can't really waste time on all this ancillary detail stuff that, you know, I love ancillary detail stuff. So uh, yeah, you are, you're Mr. Ancillary detail. Right, so you wouldn't, it, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have Ozzy you wouldn't have Ozzy going off on the media in post game, or uh, or no, was that a ra- there was a radio appearance he did that right, and then everyone that was on the beat was like, wait a sec, we 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 did ask that. Listen, I mean, since that was asked post game, and generally I don't ask Rick Renneria to please explain your good decisions uh, over the during post game. Maybe that would have happened either way. Why are you batting Jose Abreu every single game? Can you please explain? Why did you take out the pitcher who's not pitching that well before he blew the game? Really, I, I got to take him to task more on stuff like that. <laughs> hey, Rick, why are why do you keep putting uh, Tim Anderson and Yon Moncada uh, in the lineup? Yeah. Um, let's talk about that a little bit, about those guys, because you had a fun story, um, which I just edited, frankly, um, and I really enjoyed like the, vid- the uh, gifts you did and the videos you cut, so I didn't have to do them. Um, just on, on Tim Anderson, Yon Mankata, it was in Tuesday's loss. So you're finding a silver lining, which is great. Mankata was on, last uh, night. Oh, I think you had it in the wrong day. So maybe I should fix that. Mm. Um, anyway, you had these guys and just what they're doing at the plate. And it was kind of like you, you mentioned tucking in a little bit, tucking in their hands. And just kind of those inside out swings and just what that means, you know, for their maturation at the plate. And then more importantly, these days, because it's not about development, it's results, you know, and what they're doing to kind of just get those base hits that aren't, you know, they all can't be home. You have to get a hit to get a two run homer. So, you know, they're, they're helping out in that regard. Right. I mean, the, the difference between being just a standard big league hitter who crushes mistakes to the high heavens, like they all kind of 
can and, you know, hitting 350 like Tim Anderson is, is being able to get hits where you shouldn't be able to. Um, and because I'm just watching games on TV and trying to find things that are interesting to me, I wind up probably lingering over, you know, Tim Anderson cranking out a very weird swing on a backup slider um, more than I normally would. But like it's, it's Tim Anderson was looking in the right spot. He was looking low and away, and the catcher was setting up low and away. And, and Joe Musgrove, like, you know, backs up his slider in a, in a weird way that he probably didn't intend. And yeah, it's not an objectively good pitch, but because Tim is effectively fooled, it's not something he should have the ability to adjust on. And I think maybe it's a, you know, calling back to a time that fans don't really remember, but, you know, Tim Anderson is somebody who is being cited as a good hit tool. And now that obviously seems ridiculous. That seems obvious now, but maybe when he was hitting 240 and striking out 25% of the time, people wondered, like, this is a guy who's supposed to hit for average? Like, he has a crazy right. approach. But now that you see it all working, I, I, I just felt like it was an opportunity to kind of appreciate why he's good, because if you're realizing mid-flight that you're basically fooled, like, yeah, we see a lot of, um, you know, pitching ninja shows, a lot of helpless swings where guys are realizing, oh, crap, and kind of diving at the ball, a slider at the dirt and whatnot. Tim Anderson basically has an oh, crap moment in the middle of the bat, and then tucks his hands in and hits a line drive to right field, which is not something you're really supposed to be able to do. Um, Yohan Mankata, the, the thing looks a little bit more natural, but it's still like a display of bat speed that it's a 96 mile an hour sinker right on his hands. And he kind of ducks in his hands so fluidly that you don't, you really have to probably watch that gif a lot to really see him do it, but he does it so quickly and kind of insides out the ball uh, on a pitch that just from speed and location shouldn't really be all that hittable. And that's not crazy to see Yon to do that, but it's probably crazy to do that seeing as he's kind of looked as a ghost of himself all season. And he had another play on the field where he saw a lot of his speed, which you haven't seen most of this year um, without him looking like, you know, he just, you know, James Brown afterwards. But to see him running the base as well and um, showing off that bat speed in a superlative way, it Wednesday night was a very big... Um, Yohan Mankata is starting to look a little bit like Yohan Mankata. And as much as I've written about it, in the course of six weeks of, you know, the most white, exciting White Sox season ever where they've had the best offense in the American League, I haven't really weighed the idea that, like, oh, Yohan Mankata could kind of come back and play like himself again. This lineup would be a lot better because he was the best player in their lineup all last season. That would be kind of crazy. And um, their rotation is... Very scattershot. Um, I wouldn't put a lot of confidence in it in a playoff series, but it, it wouldn't be beyond them, especially if they are just, you know, a step beyond every other offense in the league to, you know, blast their way through a series or two um, beyond their pitching problems if, you know, everything's working it uh, by the time the playoffs start. Uh, hey, uh, Cam, do we have a breaking news siren? No. Why would happen? We should do something. Uh, Dallas Keuchel is on the 10-day injured list, James. Retroactive to September 7th with back spasms. They have recalled right-hander Ronaldo Lopez from Schaumburg. What do you think? I mean, this is better than what happens when I'm playing FIFA, but why is it always I'm doing something else when the injury notice comes out? Well, I I mean, I should be on a George McCaskey Zoom call right now, but I'm taping a podcast, so we all Uh have to... You know, I could be listening to Patrick Finley talk about what Bears jerseys, what jerseys they're going to wear every game with, with tremendous two sacrifices all around. Listen, my uh, kids, who knows what they're doing? Who knows what my kids are doing? 
Don't say this isn't the best produced podcast in the company. My timing is always right. I won't. <laughs> so that news is for the Dallas Keuchel injury news. James, give me your uh, quick reactions. They already said he wouldn't pitch until he was skipping the series. Um, this seems like he's skipping the next two series, uh, which provides more problems of how to deal with it. And I would largely say that <laughs> they're only like viable solution to it is that, um, you know, you basically demoted Ronaldo Lopez for poor performance. Um, now when the standard is literally just who is healthy, uh, to pitch, um, you kind of have to probably turn back to Ronaldo Lopez and sure enough, he, he's back. So, um, oh, you're kind of in a position where, you know, beggars can't be choosers. You, you, you kind of have to roll with the healthy starters you got. And, yeah, I, I wouldn't have like a ton of faith in Ronaldo Lopez based on what you've seen so far, but it's probably better than throwing, you know, a not stretched out Gio Gonzalez out there. And Bernardo Flores, one of my favorite people, but probably is not ready to be a starter in a, a playoff race either. So Ronaldo it is. All right. Well, I mean, uh, that's this is kind of where the White Sox are right now. It's just so weird to think, what is there, 18 games left as we're taping this? Is that right? Um, Maybe? Something like that. The seventeen, yeah, seventeen. Seventeen. Okay. It's just yeah. crazy to think that that's all that's left in the season, and, and you know, it's like you're gonna snap your fingers, and there's a week left in the season, and then it's like, holy shit, how are these guys? Like, what is? You I know, mean, it's not I, like they I, could I, hold up much longer at this attrition rate. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a good point. It's just gonna be weird to think, like, you know, usually when the playoffs come around, you just have this feeling a team's. You know, if a team's good, they're ready for it, right? They've been building toward this. There's just this momentum and there's this excitement in the city. And, you know, this is just going to be like, holy – it's like the NFL season right now. Right now it's just like, holy shit, the NFL starts Thursday night. You know, Bears are playing on Sunday just without a preseason. It just – there was no – there's no buildup of anticipation. And I'm really excited for the for the baseball playoffs, especially because we're going to actually have two teams in it again, you know, most likely. So – it's just going to be weird to think like, yeah, this is the White Sox are going to be in this, but you know, there's no build up in the fact that pitching is going to be a real down to the wire kind of thing, the health at least. Yeah. And the, I feel like the Twins are kind of the team that's probably going to be closer to coming back to normal uh, in terms of injury returns by the end of the mm-hmm. season. Whereas the White Sox are like, can we, can we make it to the finish line before we collapse? Right. It's just, you know, and in 08, it was like, you know, the 08, they obviously had to win on that, you know, that extra game, which was like a great moment in, you know, White Sox history, to be honest. But, you know, a that great, was a great one moment where, in Notre Dame sketch comedy after party history as well as I commandeered <laughs> the television set. What did the rest of the what did the rest of the wise guys uh, have to say? All right. Is it over now? (laughs) (laughs) I really think the Weiss guys would have been a hilarious name for a sketch comedy group. It would have gotten very sad by senior year as all faith and confidence drained out. Or different kind of dark comedy. Right. Dark comedy. (laughs) You were there with Jimmy. God, what was Jimmy? Do you have class with Jimmy Clausen? No. um, Clausen was a lot younger than me. Oh, was he? Okay. Okay. Like I remember definitely him being excited or the like everyone being excited. Like he he pulled up like in a limo to remember the, that, yeah. They, with a spike there. When the college football hall of fame was still in South Bend yes. and all that. But um He had the spiked yeah. hair and he had like ring, didn't he have like high school rings on his finger or something? Probably something like that. 
it it was something really ridiculous. Um, God, that was so funny. He was such a, and then yeah, I, I remember seeing him start against the Bears before he played the Bears when he was the Panthers quarterback, and it was right. like one of the saddest. It was that was the worst quarterback game I've ever seen, and probably one of the worst quarterback game games in like modern NFL history. Oh, man, That's, he stunk. I mean, you you've seen enough Bears games to really weigh in on that. I mean, Jonathan well, Quinn and whatnot. It was yeah, it was uh, it was Todd Collins versus Jimmy Clausen. <laughs> That was bad. I do remember I had a friend who went to Notre Dame. She was a year older than me. And uh, Ron Paulus was still there. Wow. And I, I remember she went to – she said like – I think one of her friends knew him or maybe it was dating – something like that. So she said she was out at dinner where he was at and she was just like biting her tongue <laughs> the whole dinner and she wanted to tell me sucks. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's, that's good stuff. I love our Notre Dame talk every week. Don't they open up soon? Yeah, which is crazy to think. Like, as as someone who covered baseball, the entire buildup and all the questions about how um, they're going to do this, um, you know, I haven't been able to pay much attention to how they're handling it, uh, college sports and NFL wise. So I kind of like see that they're starting and doing a double take. Like, wait, are they nuts? Like, like it seems it seems so impossible to be playing baseball. Like, how are these? organizations that i don't necessarily uh, assume are going to be more careful uh handling this but um you know like capitalism finds a way <laughs> yeah it is weird to think i think they're playing they, and they, it's like i guess because we're also in big big 10 country you know and there's so much debate on the big 10 not playing and the parents and all this stuff that people are like oh what are you know what are you gonna, people going to do without college football be like well actually college football in a lot of markets are still playing it's only a few it's big 10 and pac 12 and like you know the mac who else is in it? you know I, I can't think of any other ones that are that aren't playing yeah I, I you just saw the big 10 news and you know knowing that uh you know our uh, nicole arbach uh following the her coverage of it how they canceled it uh, or postponed it I just assumed like, oh, yeah, college football is, you know, listening to reason and then kind of went back to focusing on my little corner of the world. And then, you know, I wake up and see that there's a Bears game on Sunday and like, that's mad. You know, it's kind of wild Notre Dame's playing. Yeah. I mean, really, like, yeah, I mean, is it crazy that like Auburn's playing, you know, the SEC schools? No. I mean, I think they're being they're trying to be somewhat safe They're you know, in that they're not doing tailgates and stuff like that. When that's like a big part of the the culture there, but Notre Dame playing is, is a little odd to me. But you went there, so I think you probably understand it a little. I think you probably it probably does make some kind of sense to you, even if you don't agree with it. Yeah, I mean the entire culture is geared around that um, to to some degree, to extremely high degrees. So yeah, I would see that. I mean. They, they build themselves as an academic institution and they are. And, you know, it's a very, there's a ton of church there, but like the reason that they have, you know, applications through the roof and is football you know, is football. And, you know, it's the reason why all the buildings are nice and like, why I need to <laughs> use a swipe card to get a lemonade as a 19 year old and whatnot. Right. It's like, it's not, you know, it would be like Loyola if it wasn't for right. football <laughs> or DePaul. <laughs> right. Just nice Catholic schools, you know, giving people a good education. But is it, I have a question for you, and not to get too much into Notre Dame, because I'm sure our, our uh, most of our 600 listeners don't care. But like, what are the students, I mean, is is it, do students' lives really revolve around football in the fall? 
Or is there like, like, well, you know, I went to Mac school. No one gave two shits about OU. OU could be like undefeated and people would care and they would, you know, go to some games. But like, if it was the choice of like drinking or going to a game, you know, people are going to pick drinking. It entirely evolves around it. Uh, you like the Saturdays, there's nothing Saturdays um, beyond it. Uh, if they lose, like this was some, this is a point of like argument that I would have, like, and me being the person I am, I would like break out the calendar and I would like count the Saturdays in a four years of being in college and how many semesters of it and yelling at my friends who like just wanted to stay in and be sad because like, uh, I don't know, Brady Quinn had thrown three picks or something like that. Like we have a limited amount of time that we're in college and we can like go right. out and you want to like sit in and like be sad because like the team is, you know, you know, going to win, you know, nine games and get pasted by an SEC school in the bowls again. Like we have to spend our time. But like, yeah, everyone's mood and everyone's willingness to do anything was entirely based around college football and all that. And I, I feel like. I mean, it was like a you know weird goofy teams with like Russell Carter and Colin Falls, but I feel like their basketball team was like probably better than and Luke Herringody was better than the football team for stretches of that time, but just people did not care in the same way. Like people did not get excited for them being in the NCAA tournament, even as much as they cared about like the football team humping its way through a six and six season. Like it, <laughs> everything, everything was better based around that. Every all. People would take it easy on Friday nights because they'd be getting hyped up for, for tailgating the next day. It was ridiculous. And, you know, I didn't even see why tailgating was that fun considering that everyone's parents were there. And that was just strange. And, like, why do I want to drink alongside, like, your dad? Uh, it, it was a weird scene. I wouldn't wouldn't recommend. Yeah, that's, um, you know, because I went, like I said, I went to, you know, a fun campus type school not a city school like DePaul or something but where football wasn't a big deal so it's kind of like the best of both worlds because like your your weekends weren't dominated by going to a game I even though I had to go to games for work you know at, at pretty much every Saturday especially my senior year I went to every game um it it, it was kind of the more of just like fun to be I don't know just fun to be in college James let's pause for a moment and then we'll be back with the rest of the show Former Cal star Andrew Vaughn is. You talked to him. You got a good interview with him. You undersold it to me. You told me you know you weren't sure about the interview. I thought it was pretty interesting. You know, um, at least you made it interesting. Just talking about Andrew Vaughn, this hitting machine, and and what he's trying to do in Schaumburg. You know, how is Andrew Vaughn taking advantage of this kind of lost minor league season? Well, he's. Um, it's really just an extension of uh, being invited to like. It, it basically, he got invited to big league spring training uh, in February, and then it never really ended because that's now all he's doing now is he gets to face rehabbing big league arms. He gets to you know face a lot of like double A, triple A type of guys, and he just takes a ton of at bats. And I, I, I tried. I viewed it as like a not necessarily extremely successful interview because you know Andrew Vaughn is like this portrayed often as like this hitting genius or someone who's perfected his mechanics and like he's he's not like you know the absolute perfect baseball specimen he's not going to remind you of like Luis Robert or anything like that but he just does everything with such like metronome like consistency that he's viewed as just like this sure thing hitter and so I was trying to like crack the code of what goes on in his head and why he's like so more advanced than everybody else and I don't really feel like I did it but um 
So I just threw out a lot of quotes that his hitting coaches had said about him and, and see how he responded to it. And he mostly just said like, yeah, yeah, that kind of sound, sounds right. But he, there, there's no big, it's attractive when you're writing about prospects to write about some sort of tweak or, you know, big step forward in progress that they've made. And that's not really going to be the case for Andrew Vaughn, which is kind of the reason you drafted him as high as you did, is that everything is kind of as as much as you'd want. There's nothing to smooth out. There's no, like, swing change to, like, do with him. He doesn't, like, have a hitch like Zach Collins had that they were trying to like, get rid of or anything like that. Everything is very much like how you want. It's all about familiarity with how he's going to be attacked in the majors and getting acclimated to, uh, you know, what kind of command and, and stuff that big leaguers have. And so from that aspect, you'd kind of say this is, I wouldn't say it's not as good, you know, situationally uh, uh, as playing actual games, but he's, he's kind of achieving that. And that's kind of the reason you invited him to, to big league camp is so he could continue to face high level arms and basically get him ready to be, you know, in all honesty, I would expect to be the one of the first base DHs next year on the major league team when you, uh, you know, don't pick up Edwin Encarnacion's option and probably watch James McCann get money to be a starting catcher elsewhere. I, I That's what my expectation for Andrew Vaughn. The juicy thing that I think is unreasonable to expect now that there's 17 games left is like, ooh, Andrew Vaughn's taking reps at third base. Could he be, could he place Mankata if he's injured? Or now, um, Andrew Vaughn is taking reps in the outfield. Does that mean that they're going to get tired of Nomar Mazzara and hastily call up their top prospect with two weeks left in the season and give him at bats and have a sudden offensive upgrade? I don't think it's uh, working out, but I understand it from Andrew's perspective, which is he's a first baseman. He's been a first baseman all his life. The White Sox seem kind of set at first base for years to come, and he's giving himself different options uh, for how he would get in a lineup. Because you know, even though he's got millions in the bank from his bonus. He's still a minor leaguer who is just hoping to get playing time at some point to, to some degree. And he's trying to give himself more options. I would. Okay. Andrew Vaughn is very slow. <laughs> it's like a 20 to 30 grade runner. I would not How? think that. How him, is that possible? Y- you watch him. Um, he's young. He, he's young. He's he's a he's a kind of a bowling ball of a man. Like uh, he's, he's not like. <laughs> You know, a Yermi Mercedes type build or anything like that, but he's he's just not long and lanky in any kind of respect. Uh, the way I've like the comp I've made is you know the scene in like Empire Strikes Back where they like they slam on the hyperspeed and the Millennium Falcon strains and you hear noises, but then it never accelerates. Andrew Vaughn hustles really hard, but if he hits a ground ball, you see him like. sort of rev up to like really try to sprint down the line and he just doesn't get much faster than how how hard he was already running like there's just not a there's not a burst there and so i don't like he could have good reads he could you know play very disciplined and not you know dive at balls he's not going to make and whatnot and be a smart outfielder it might be unreasonable to expect since he hasn't played that position much. But if he did that, still, there's a very low ceiling for how good he could be in right field because he's just not going to cover much ground. So it's not a project I could see them really diving a lot into. Yeah, there's value to him taking some reps because, you know, what the hell else is he doing there in Schaumburg and, and working on his defense and having that in his back pocket to do in an emergency a little bit. But he's not going to become an everyday right fielder. That's just not a reasonable thing to expect from him. I, I um, think what but, I think. I think we need to send him to Don Beebe's speed camp out in the suburbs. Why not? Uh, you know, he's he's got no games he's missing out on. He's, the season for him is essentially going to end in a, a few weeks. 
Yeah. Any, right. Anything is a good use of his time. So, James, uh, in an amazing act of ass kissing, um, you <laughs> led a story about how our boss, Adam Hansman, the co-founder of the company, gave you a story idea um, and, and that you were going to you were going to go with it. Um, it's really funny <laughs> that, that you did that. But it's actually here's one thing I'll say, because I've known Adam the longest um, of anyone because he recruited me to help start the company, which, by the way, just reached, we just reached, uh, we didn't just reach a million subscribers. We got, we announced it on Wednesday that we're at a million, but we've actually, we had been up and down with renewals, um, I guess, from, from our English outpost. And now they were finally comfortable enough. We were, we were well over enough of a million that like renewals and stuff, non-renewals weren't going to affect it. So we're over a million, which is a you we're, know, we're trying huge. to avoid that like thousand yard rusher who then gets tackled in, right. for a five yard exactly. loss at right afterwards. Exactly <laughs> that that premature uh, celebration. So it was when they felt comfortable and and when whatever uh, journalists they got to embargo the story, uh, they could they could run it. But Adam is actually a really good idea person, and a lot of times, or especially early in the day, he would give me ideas. Some were better than others, but anytime he gave me an idea, I would think about it because I felt like he had a really good sense of what's a good story. And a lot of times I would run stuff by him. And if he liked it, you know, I would know we're kind of on the right track because besides, you know, the only journalism experience he really had was high school sports editor. But I, I feel like he's a, he's a really bright guy for being young. Um, you guys, did you guys overlap at all in Notre Dame? Yes. He had a, uh, Oh, it was delivery service, right? The delivery service for beverages. Uh, and I remember reading about it in the student newspaper and being realizing like that it didn't deliver booze and thinking like, oh, that's dumb. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Just like people reading about us being like, who's going to subscribe to a sports website? Right. It's always exactly. like when, when I, if you're in college, for anyone that's listening to us in college, if you know, like if you're in college and you see some like someone your age who's already like an entrepreneur in college while you're tr struggling to like get up and go to class, that person's probably going to be a success later in life. But possibly not a chill hang at that age. <laughs> no, because they're like thinking about me. I had friends that had a, like a, they had like a gift, like a discount card type thing, which was terrible. It was a terrible discount card, but and now they think about it, they're actually not. One guy was one of those guys who was a hard charging guy who was like an instant su not success after college, but was, you know, made money, you know, did did everything, got married early, and then he got he lost his job, got divorced, and he's kind of like, re but he's kind of remade himself as a more chill person since then. In college, he was like, he had a fax machine in his room, like one of those type people. Um, but he actually, it's kind of it's really refreshing because as, as he got older, he like kind of found his chill a little more. But yeah, yeah well, I'm sure it's pretty I, intense. I watched uh, Big Lebowski 11 times in one weekend <laughs> in college. So, <laughs> All right, enough college stuff. Let's get back to the story. Adam's idea, which you executed perfectly, was how many dingers do you think Eloy and Luis Robert could hit in their career? 300, 500? When you started reaching out to people about this, what was the response? Um... No one rejected it. No one just said, like, that's crazy or they stink or uh, um, that everyone acknowledged that the intense possibility 
of 300. I kind of had the caveat like, all right, don't yell at me, but what's the chances of 500? I know all the reasons why it's obviously hard, but can you like, you know, elucidate it? And, but everyone, and you know, the most forceful objections came for Eloy and there are like very obvious ones. And um, they're all about like, we don't like the body. We think he's a DH. We need to, you know, you need to move him out of left field. If you move him out of left field, he's a first base DH. Well, then he has to hit or else he loses a spot in the lineup. But if you don't move him out of left field, then maybe he's going to get hurt. And that's going to reduce his at-bats and that's going to reduce his effectiveness as well. Um, but everyone acknowledged and, you know, part of the, you know, baseball reference scrolling kind of verified is that he's already so successful and he's already moved along. You're talking about 250 home runs, essentially, for him to reach 300, which is a level, I think, I forgot the total count, but only like less than 200 guys have ever done that. Um, so that's already kind of impressive. And, you know, for 250, he really just needs to hit like 30 bombs a season for like, you know, eight and a half more years or something like that. And it, it's, it's extremely, that's before he really hits, hits into his thirties. It's extremely doable for him, even all through all their objections. Well, at least Robert, it was a lot, you know, he's, he's the guy scouts are naturally going to drool over a bit more. So they, they talked about how. Yeah, I'll bet on that 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 body very much to hang up long term. But they also thought that his swing, you know, Eloy has this really like complex little crouch that he gets into, and uh, you know, being a bigger guy, they they worried a little bit more about how complex his swing is and whether that's something that you know slows down a, a little tick more as he gets older and if he gets any bigger. Um, you know, to his credit, I think Eloy has kept in um, great shape since being called up in the majors, but. The fact that it's already takes him a lot of work to, to stay in great shape at 23 is not a great sign for 33. You know, it's a, a just it's not trying to heap scorn on him, but it's a typical scouting assumptions that you kind of have to be aware of those kind of risks. For Luis Robert, they like his swing. They think it's more simple and they like the fact that his um, that his, his body is more athletic and thus, you know, you don't necessarily expect him to have to be as high maintenance to stay in shape and, and maintain his bat speed. But he has a little bit more swing and miss than Eloy, but and a point that I thought was interesting that was raised is like, yeah, he's very good in center field, and the fact that he has a defensive position will keep him alive for long term, but he is taking dings out there, and you know, we just saw him, like, as I was contacting people, he had just had that diving catch in, in Kansas City, and yeah, he was very under control, and yeah, he, he uh, you know, looked very impressive doing it, but you know, five, ten years of slamming into the dirt, that could be something that, you know, starts to slow him down long term or leads to more injuries. And he doesn't have this clean slate uh, to suggest that, um, you know, he's going to he has he's unnaturally good at avoiding injury or anything like that. He had, you know, a thumb injury very directly from, you know, kind of colliding with the wall. So the, the general takeaway is that for the 300 home run barrier, they both have very good chances and very good chances and you know given all the things that can go wrong in a baseball career is about 50 50 so everyone kind of liked them for that just because of the power they showed the the fact that they both have very uh, intense raw power that they're already getting into games at a young age just statistically there you know there's very few people who are on pace with them uh just the level of home run production they've already shown uh, but 500 you know it's basically impossible. It's like, you know, 20 something yeah. guy, 28 guys who have done it. And they both have their own, um, heap of doubt, uh, for reasons of why they might not get there. I, I think uh, the, the, the most optimistic take that anyone had was like LOA at 5% for, for home runs. And 
you know, obviously that's very unlikely, but that that was that was the scout being complimentary because that's the probability level they talk about. Right. Well, it's you know what? At the very least, it's something fun to talk about, um, which usually in September's of White Sox seasons, we're not uh, this optimistic. So but this year is a little different and it's a great point to end on. Um, this week continues the White Sox off on Thursday, back on Friday against the Tigers, and then the big series against the Twins. And I know you are you'll be excited to sit in your perch atop uh right field <laughs> in the press box. The very, Tower. very far away from the action to watch. All right. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Uh always enjoy doing a little White Sox business with you, James, and talking some uh some Notre Dame memories. You know, we we've uh We'll make this a continuing bit throughout the fall, and hopefully the White Sox will still be playing as well. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Bye.